But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalms 1 verses 2 and 3. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. Happy to have you with us today. Happy that you're going to study along with us as we continue in our study of 1 John. Uh, my name's Tyler. If you've been listening, you probably know that, and you probably know what I'm about to say next. With me is is Andy Bomberger. That's me. Um, here, here we are once again. Good, good to talk to you, Tyler. Good to talk. Things going well in Georgia for you? Things are going well. Uh, moving right along. Um, got uh, got a lot of good things uh, happening with the church here, and I uh, hope the same is uh, is is uh, up there for you in Kentucky. Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're kind of sandwiched in Tennessee. I I never really thought about that. Um, yeah, but um, we're both right there on the line, making a good Tennessee sandwich with the Streams of Water podcast. That's right. Um, that's right. Well, looking forward to out, uh, our study of First John chapter 3 today. And um, I think that this is going to be a, a profitable. We talk about a couple of different things. Uh, the, the first section in First John chapter 3 verses 11 through are really dedicated to our love for one another. We introduced that last week from. First John chapter three and verse number 10. We're going to build on that in 11 through 18. And then in uh, 19 through 24, we're going to have this conversation. Confidence before God and what happens if our hearts do condemn us and what happens if our hearts don't condemn us before God. So uh, looking forward to the conversations. These are uh, some of these are pretty well known uh, passages of scripture. Um, so, Andy, is, is there anything really that we need to bring to the forefront? before we dive right in yeah i think it's no surprise here in first john 3 what we're going to be studying today and thinking about today it's no surprise that the apostle john talks about love and talks about what that looks like in practice and living that out in a very real uh, tangible way um, and so we're going to see some of the themes that have been uh, present over and over in First John already. And he's going to develop those. He's going to flesh them out. He's going to help us think about it uh, from a different angle and uh, focusing on the God of love, uh, God's love for us in Christ, and how that ought to shape us, how that ought to change us in the way that we view our brothers and how we can have uh, confidence uh, if we see that love of God and see uh, the love of God worked out in our lives. So very uh, simple in some ways, but also deeply practical, deeply profound truths found uh, in this in this passage. Specifically, love, Andy, how would you uh, define this idea of love? I don't think we've asked that question in our study of 1 John so far. Different definitions, especially in our culture and the world that we live in, there's a lot of different definitions that people give to the word love that they assign just that word in, 
in our regular vocabulary in a lot of different ways. So when John talks about love or the New Testament talks about love, uh, how would you uh, say uh, the word is being used and, and put forth? Yeah, it's such a it's such a prevalent term. Like you talked about, we we use it so much. Uh, <clears throat> the 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 word love, I think, in the New Testament is really uh, rich and has a lot of uh, implications and underlying meanings associated with it. But as the Apostle John talks about it in uh, in his letters, also in his his gospel, I think we get a clear picture of what love is it's something that um, is derived from the very nature and heart of God Um, I think fundamentally love is wanting what is best uh, for another and sacrificially pursuing that love uh, involves action love involves uh, sacrifice Uh, it involves obedience in john's uh in john's mind we've talked about uh that before and so love i think involves feelings involves emotions it involves affections but it also uh, works itself out in a kind of character that uh is pursuing what is best uh, for another it's it's outward focus it's self-giving um and that's I think I think that's kind of the picture that we see here. And Jesus gives us this perfect model of of love and what it looks like. And that that shapes us and flows out from his love for us to our love uh, for one another. Yeah, I, uh, when I think about love, especially I think a lot of people think that love is complete acceptance or tolerance regardless of anything i don't think the bible though like jesus with the rich young ruler in mark chapter 10 uh, jesus looked at the young man and loved him on him to give up all of his riches give the money to the poor and he would have treasure in heaven of course jesus loves the rich young ruler he calls him to do something difficult and then watches him walk away and so I don't think that love is necessarily tolerance or acceptance. Like you said, and that love is just a strong feeling or emotion, even though we oftentimes use it that way. And that's even the way that it's this feeling of, of strong affection for another person. Well, in the Bible, it's not just a feeling of strong affection for a um, love. There's a, a definition that I read that was given by a guy named Matt Evans. He says, love is the intentional and necessary, personally costly investment in the good of another. I think that's a really good definition. I wish I would have came up with that. That that also it's something you do on purpose. And if necessary, personally costly, that's what you said, Andy, about sacrifice. It's an investment. And I love someone. I'm not really giving something up. It's not something that's haphazard. I'm not wasting. But instead, when I love, I'm investing somebody in somebody's good and in scripture like in first corinthians 13 we would say that love doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing this is with the truth love is the intentional and if necessary personally costly investment in the good of another and i think that's a good way uh, to think actually as we 
see it presented before us in first John chapter three. Um, so any, any other thoughts, Andy, that we need to uh, dive right into this? Yeah. Uh, you, what you said there, I think is really important and really helpful. Uh, just several things that you said there sparked some other ideas uh, in, in just talking about love in contrast to our culture and what, what the Bible uh, says about it. The, you know, the, the idea of what you're talking about with, with tolerance being a commonly accepted view of, of what love really is. I think as you're indicating there, tolerance sometimes is antithetical to love because accepting something in some, somebody else that is going to lead to destruction is opposite of love. It's opposite of what is uh, best for a person. And so just that idea of what I was talking about and the definition you mentioned as well, love involves wanting the best for another person, even when that other person uh, is, is working against what is best for them. And I think that's so clear in how God loves us and how we often do things that are not best for us. And yet God still pursues us. He's drawing us to what is, what is good, what is righteous, what is loving for us. And I think that's such an important thing for us uh, to remember. At the same time, sometimes uh, in uh, reaction to that, and such a strong reaction to that idea of tolerance as love, uh, Christians maybe can fall into the temptation of uh, being so... Uh, looking for the right words here because you know it's a delicate it's a delicate thing but sometimes standoffish sometimes uh even uh push people away in the name of well i'm not accepting what is wrong in you um, but it's actually because what you're doing uh what you're doing wrong is is not because i actually want what's best for you but it, because it's uncomfortable for me and so we've got to we've got to really reflect in our own hearts when we refuse to accept a behavior in someone else or we are telling someone that they're wrong, are we doing that because we are genuinely wanting what's best for them and we're willing to sacrifice at personal cost to ourselves to, to help them uh, come to a, a better situation, to, to be in a circumstance that is truly best for them, or are we doing that because well, we don't like what they're doing. We want to be right. And so I think that's just important to, uh, to note about, about love. We kind of went off that I kind of went off on a different rabbit trail there, but I think it's helpful in what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Hey, they're acceptable here. Uh, whenever <laughs> you get a couple of preachers together, I feel like it's almost inevitable. Um, that's right. So, uh, ahead and dive into the text, Andy, if, if that's okay with you. Um, if you want to take maybe 11 through 14 and through 18, we'll just read that, that first section about love since we've been uh, talking about that the last few minutes. All right. 11 through 14, 1 John 3. But this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
Everyone who hates his and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for us. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So we go back to this message. We, we've talked about this idea before of loving one another in Christ, a message, a command that is is old, but it's also new in that Jesus revitalizes it and places new boundaries on it. Like in John 13, we love one another just like Jesus loves us. But we go back to this message that we've heard from the very beginning, from the beginning of our relationships with God. This is something that's been put forward is that as Christians, as brothers, sisters, we are to love one another. And so throughout this passage, he's going to tell us how we should not love one another back to the old testament and use an example from genesis the fourth chapter about how we're not supposed to love it's interesting that in the case of cain and abel as john brings this up disobedience heard from the beginning that his brothers were supposed to love one another that's what actually a di disobedience to that command actually led to murder between Cain and Abel. So uh, what does John want us to, to draw out of this example, Andy, about bringing up Cain and pointing us back to this command that's been from the very beginning uh, that, that we should love one another? I think one of the things he wants us to see mainly is that the way of hatred is a way of death. Uh, hatred that starts in the heart that moves away from love that moves away from obedience to God and love of God and love of brother is something that always leads to destruction and death. And he's trying to paint a contrast between the hatred that the world has, the hatred that uh, Cain has for his brother and how we ought to be as children of God. Remember uh, earlier in the chapter, he talks about this idea of us being children of God and, and being seen as children of God uh, through our love. And so what he wants us to see is that the way of love is the way of life and the way of uh, hatred is the way of death. It reminds me of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount talking about, you know, you've heard it, it was said, do not murder. But I say unto you, do not even hate your brother from your heart. Don't even, uh, you know, uh, say hateful things uh, to your brother because that's where it starts. It starts in the heart and we see the implications of that. And you don't have to look very far uh, in history. The very first brothers uh, that that led to death. And then ever since then, brother has been killing brother. Nation has been killing nation. It's uh, it's the it's the tragedy of history that's playing out over and over and over again when you abandon god when you abandon the way of love uh death in ensues and john is saying here um we as god's children have passed out of that death into life because we love the brothers jesus jesus is inviting us into a new way of existing a new way of of living that is so counter to the world's way of hatred that's a great point. Uh, I Really, the way that John brings up Cain and Abel, especially Cain here in 1 John 3 and verse 12, 
changes the way that I view that story in Genesis chapter four. For instance, whenever I was younger, Andy, I don't know about you, but whenever I was younger and I read or talked about Genesis four in vacation Bible school or something like that, I always thought that Abel was accepted by God, rejected by God, just because of that one sacrifice that they made. Abel's sacrifice must have been good or of a better quality sacrifice wasn't good it wasn't of that that great quality so god accepted abel rejected cain well here we learn cain's character i don't know if it was necessarily about the sacrifice but it was about the life and the heart and the 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 one behind the sacrifice that cain was of the evil one cain belonged to the evil one who tripped up his parents just before that in Genesis chapter 3 Cain belonged to Satan and as a result murdered his brother he murdered his because his deeds notice the the plural there his own deeds were evil and his brother's deeds plural were righteous and uh, so two very different people here one who was evil one who was righteous one who belonged to the evil one and one who belonged to God just one and murder was the result the murder happened because of lack of love because hatred like you're saying andy and and so when we have a lack of love whenever we have hatred towards our brothers and sisters in christ always going to lead down a path of death and and that's the point in verse 13 don't be surprised brothers that the world hates you i think we have different standards whenever it comes to those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. So if, if we hate each other in Christ, then we're in death and we can't be right with God. But we shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. Um, I think it's interesting um, uh, that this isn't stated as a potentiality or a possibility of the world hating us. He, he says the world and you shouldn't be surprised about it. But what about those who are in Christ? Well, we know, Andy, as you said, one of the signs that we've passed life out of darkness and into light is because we love the brothers. That's one of the signs that we are saved and we are in the right relationship with God. And that's concerned in first John chapter five of saying, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Well, here's one of the ways that we have eternal life. We have to love the brothers. If we love the brothers, then we're in life. If we don't love the brothers, then it in death. If we hate our brothers, we're walking in the footsteps of Cain. We are in our hearts leading us down a path of death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer doesn't have eternal life abiding in him. So how we love one another, one another within the body of Christ, how we love one another and treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ has an impact where we're going to spend in eternity. So this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's 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 a defining feature of who we are in Christ, who we are in 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 God, and it separates us. It's this uh, sharp line of demarcation between us and and the world. Uh, and I like what you said there about verse thirteen. This is just an accepted fact. The world will hate you, and if the world doesn't hate us we might need to consider whether we're really walking in love because the way of the world is so 
different than the way of God that he calls us into. So I think that's something really significant for us to consider. I want to chew on that for just a little bit longer, Andy. I think sometimes we do get surprised whenever the world hates us that we are surprised. And I, I think that's because of the kind of culture we have in the United States of America and the religious freedoms that we've had, the protection of religious liberty. Surprised whenever someone speaks out against Christians, does something hateful towards Christians, uh, that really uh, takes us by storm. One in First John 2, or rather here in First John 3 and verse 13, or I think about Peter in First uh, Peter chapter 1, that entire letter is the idea that, that you shouldn't be surprised when these trials come upon you. You shouldn't be surprised when the world hates things of Jesus. He said, if the world hates me, guess what? Too, that if it hated me and you follow in my footsteps, it's going to you. And so instead of being surprised when the world hates us, I think instead we should we should expect that. We we love one, we love the brotherhood, we love those who are within Christ, we also love those who are outside of Christ, but we shouldn't expect those Christ to love us like we love them. Um, what do you think about that? Do you, do you, do you have any thoughts to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a important point that, especially in our culture and the way we sometimes react as as Christians, we are uh, shocked, <laughs> you know, that that the culture's values are different than uh, God's values, the Christian values, and we are we sometimes get so focused on maybe losing that cultural influence, maybe losing that influence in the government. Um, and we're we're surprised and we think, well, the, the world is getting so much worse when in reality, uh, the world has been like this ever since Cain. Right. I mean, there's been hatred uh, for the righteous, for the the uh, the godly ever since uh, the beginning of, of time, essentially. And so. It, it should be no surprise. And sometimes maybe that's a product of us, like you said, living in um, the, the freedom that we have, which is, is a good thing. Um, you know, we don't we shouldn't want <laughs> to be persecuted. We shouldn't want to, um, you know, for um, like we should seek that out and, and stoke stoke the flames of that. But it's just a natural uh byproduct of living in the way of jesus as you said jesus jesus said that it's a promise anyone who's going to live a godly life um, is going to suffer um, if you follow me the world's going to hate you because the world hated me hated me first and this has been the case uh, from the start of christianity and then you know john even draws it back further to to cain uh, as well uh, who hated uh, his brother because his uh, his deeds were were righteous so uh, I think we we need to embrace that, accept it. At the same time, uh, we ought not to have a persecution complex that says, uh, well, every time someone dislikes me, it's because I'm uh, following Christ or everything that uh, is against what I like is actually persecution and play the victim in that way. I think that can be another uh, bad reaction. Sometimes people in the world don't like us, not because we're 
following in the way of Jesus, just but because, in fact, we're actually being hateful or we're actually uh, acting in a way that is not in conformity with Christ. And so uh, the gospel is offensive enough in it and of itself. Uh, if we're following it, we're going to naturally be be hated. We're, we're going to be offensive. We shouldn't add extra offense on top of that. So those are some of the things that to kind of consider along that strain of thought that you're, you're help you're helping us uh, dwell on a little bit. I really like the apostles didn't do that. They didn't seek out persecution. They didn't have a persecution complex. They preached the gospel. They did what Jesus wanted them to do. And when persecution came, they didn't glorify it. They were just willing to accept it follow in their footsteps especially as we as as you mentioned uh, perhaps our our culture is becoming states becoming more and more what some might call anti-christian as some of those values that are christian values kind of fade away uh, sure uh, but here we're talking about the the main idea is love and how we're supposed to love one another and so am i loving my in christ well Love what John does in 16. He points us to the ultimate example of love. How do we ultimately know love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse number eight, we know what love is in that Jesus laid down his life for us. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to example of love, John says we should go as far down our lives for the brothers that's yeah tracks andy i mean that is that's a pretty big statement to say okay sure jesus laid down his life for me and that shows how much he loves me says let me show you where the rubber meets the road that if you get the opportunity you lay down your lives for one another that's really following in the footsteps of jesus yeah it's this powerful kind of ironic twist on on what John's been saying in that, you know, we've been talking about he's emphasizing the fact that the way of hatred is the way of death. It's 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 murder, uh, but the way of love is eternal life. And then he says, uh, take a look at what this love looks like. Um, it actually looks like death to self in contrast to, uh, you know, death to another person. And bringing ultimate spiritual death to yourself. The way of eternal life is reflect is reflecting who Jesus was. And what is what does love look like through Jesus? It looks like giving up of yourself for the good of another. It looks like laying down your life in love for our our brothers, uh, giving what what is needed at great cost to ourselves. That's what love looks like. Um, and that is so much deeper than a shallow view of of love that our uh, culture extols or even sometimes in Christian circles that we uh, talk about love. This is this is something that is deeply personal. It's deeply uh, practical. It has all these implications uh, for how I live. And again, talking about our culture, um, there's this idea of I don't need religion I don't need God to be a loving person. I know how to be a loving person on my own. Uh, that's not true. Uh, John says that we can't know what love is uh, until we see Jesus. 
and we see the cross and we see God sending his own son and him giving his own life for his sheep uh, of his own will, of his own accord. And we shouldn't just accept that and just say, oh, you know, that's we're, we're thankful for that. And then that has no uh, impact on my life. We should embrace that and say, now I then want to live like that and in living, dying to myself and laying down my life uh, for the good of those around me. But then continuing, you know, I when I think about my daily life, I don't really have a lot of opportunity to lay down my life for the brothers. You know, I just I, maybe it's I, maybe it's our time in the first. Perhaps more opportunities for that, uh, but I've never come to a point in my life where I had to choose to die and to live for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, so in 17, I think John gets a little bit more practical. He says, hey, Jesus laid down. We should love one another to the point that we would be willing to lay down our lives for one another. That doesn't actually take form a whole lot of the time. But what about this in 17? You see a brother or sister who's lacking in what they need on a daily basis. You see a brother or sister who's who's lacking uh, in the things that they need. We're talking about food. We're talking about, talking about clothing. We're talking about water. Not wants, but needs. And so, hey, I, I have the world's goods. My brother's, I close my heart against him. Notice it starts on the heart. It's not just about a refusal to give out the hand, but a refusal to give out the hand, refusal to serve, a refusal to be generous starts in the heart. You close your heart against him. He asks the question, how does God's love even abide? How can God's love live in you if you have what the world has to offer and you see your brother in need and you close your heart against him and you don't help? Back to 16, sure, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. I'm not so sure I'm willing to share my stuff. I'm not I'm willing to share my money and my food and my possessions and my home, my blessings with you, my brother or sister in Christ, who's in, there's a natural disconnect there, that if we're willing to lay down our lives for one another, there's not going to be a Christian who's in need. There's not going to be, who doesn't have food to eat or clothes to wear, because we're going to not close our hearts against them, but open our hearts to them. God's in me, and I want to share that. Uh, with my brother or sister who's struggling. Yeah, he's he's moving from this grand uh, gesture of love, which is so beautiful that we see in Jesus, and he's moving it into the daily practical acts of love that are really a a baseline for do you have love in your heart? And I think what he's saying here is, okay, anyone... Um, can say that they're going to lay down their life for someone else. It's kind of like what you're talking about, Tyler. Anyone can say, Hey, I'd, I'd die for you, man. Or I'd die for God. If it came down uh, for that. Well, if you say that, if that's really true, um, are you, are you living that out in the daily opportunities that are right in front of your face? Anyone can make that bold, grand statement gesture. But when someone asks you for something basic, um, something that they need right now, are you going to, uh, are you going to, to give of self in that, in that moment? Are you going to give of what, what you have? And 
that is a microcosm of laying down your life because what what causes us to withhold some of those goods sometimes is this idea of um i need i need this extra security i want to preserve my life by i need more i want to have more if i give of this this might be putting myself in jeopardy i might be putting myself at, at risk in some way even if i'm abundantly blessed we we strive for um more and more and more because we want that protection that security that trust that that we think the the illusion uh, that we think uh material goods can provide for us and so we have this mindset of of scarcity that there's not enough to go around so i've got to hold it back but if i am walking in the way of love that is reflective of jesus's love i'm going to lay down my life in a metaphorical sense by practically in action, indeed giving of the things that I have uh, for my, for my brothers. Um, and so, and then, you know, in verse 18, he says that little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Anyone can say, I love this person, but what does that look like in my life? What does that look like in truth, in practicality? And that is something that we have to uh, deeply consider and reflect on as the opportunities arise in our lives, which there is so much need all around us uh, among our brothers and sisters. This is a powerful passage. Um, um, how we're supposed to love one another. We are not surprised when the world hates us. Um, but I imagine that we when that hatred exists in the church for one another. When I have somebody who I worship with on a regular basis who sits on the auditorium and we sit on two sides of the auditorium because we just can't get along. And I don't look at them. I don't talk to them. They don't look at me. They don't talk, not serving one another, not fellowshipping with one another. We're not encouraging one another. That's something that needs to be addressed according to this passage. Uh, we like Cain, we don't want to abide in death. We want to abide in life. We want to be like Jesus. We want to love in deed and in truth. And so that to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ to do whatever we can to meet their needs in a practical way. Uh, so said here about love, I'm sure we could spend a lot more time here. Uh, but Andy, are we ready to move forward to uh, 19 through 24? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Um, I'll take 19 through 21 and then I'll leave 22 through 24 for you. All right. John writes, this is 19 of chapter three. By this, we shall all know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have for God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Awesome. Um, so we have been talking about throughout this book and throughout this study and we're going to continue emphasize how uh, john wants us to be secure in our salvation he wants us to be confident in the salvation 
that God is. In other words, if someone were to ask you the question, are you going to go to heaven whenever you die? It's not arrogance to say that I'm going to go to heaven whenever I die. I know that I'm in the right relationship with God. John wants to help us get there. He wants to help us remove those doubts. Uh, so here in 19, 20, 21, 22, uh, he lays down uh, what happens and what we need to know. Our hearts condemn us. Our hearts do not condemn us. That's 20 and, and 21. So he, he begins in 19 by shall know. Notice the confidence there. This is not a guess. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth. By this, we shall our hearts before him. Uh, so, you know, prop feeding off of, and we're going to look at this in a couple of different ways, but of course, this is off of what we just talked about in uh, verses 11 about loving one another. He says, by that, we can know that we're of the truth and we can reassure our hearts before God. And we continue into this conversation about when our hearts condemn us, better than our everything. And if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. Um, Andy, what does what does John mean by that? What is all of the heart condemning us business? Yeah, the way that I understand this passage and have uh, typically uh, taught it is uh, the idea that sometimes we we wonder if if we're really right before God, if we're really um, saved, and so our heart. Uh, deceitful as it is, tells us you're condemned, uh, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, uh, which, in, in, I mean, in, in reality, when you look at the core of it, none of us ultimately are worthy, no, none of us ultimately are good enough to be saved, and yet God says uh, you are saved in Christ. And I think in context here, he's talking about a, a way of life that shows us that we are w walking in accord with Jesus, that we're walking in light, to use earlier language from 1 John, that we're walking in love. Um, not that our deeds in any way um, earn our salvation before God, but if we want to know that we are in God, that we are being uh, shaped and sanctified by God's power, by God's grace, by God's spirit, then it's going to look like a life that looks like Jesus and it is becoming more and more like Jesus. And so he talks about in verse 18, let's not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. So living a way of love uh, in truth. And by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart when we have those doubts. Um, and I think the idea here in verse 20 is that whenever we have those doubts, what God says and what God's promises are and what God re word, God's word reassures us of is greater than what our heart is telling us. So are we going to believe our hearts or are we going to believe God's promise? Are we going to be, believe God's grace? We're we going to believe what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And he knows who we are better than we know. He knows everything, verse 20 tells us. And so should we listen to our hearts that condemn us or should we listen uh, to God? Uh, who truly uh, tells us how we can have confidence uh, before him. So that's kind of the way I under understand it. Uh, what what uh, gaps do you need to fill in uh, there, Tyler? No, I think that's a good way of understanding it. And that's the way that I've always thought about it too. And it, it's really beautiful. It's 
that John is admitting that sometimes we don't feel like we're saved. Sometimes our hearts condemn us. Sometimes we have those doubts. Sometimes the surface, but whenever we are walking in the truth and we're looking to reassure our hearts before him, we recognize that God is hearts. God knows everything. And so even whenever I don't feel saved, even whenever my heart is condemning, recognize that God is greater than that. And, and, and he knows me. He knows me inside and out. He knows every hair on my head. And he knows the desire I have. He knows the direction that I'm trying to go. But if our hearts don't condemn us, well, then we don't have those doubts. And we're confidently before God. And that confidence is seen in our prayers. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. And that confidence is seen in the way that we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And so either way, whether I have doubts or not, whether my heart is condemning me or whether my heart is not condemning me, it all goes back to God. It all goes back to confidence. It all goes back to the boldness that's offered in him. My heart does condemn me and, and he knows everything. And so I need to side with him instead of siding with me. I need to listen to God instead of listening to my heart my heart doesn't condemn me, well, then I don't have that problem. And I stand with confidence before God. And that confidence is seen in how I pray and how I on a daily basis. Um, there's another way of, of thinking about this. And, you know, I what what you suggested, Andy, minutes is what I think of when I go to this passage. But I also read another interpretation from a, a writer, a commentator that worth uh, mentioning. Uh, that he ties it into the immediate context of if we're going to love our brothers, then we need to help them. And we don't need to love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. And, and it's by that, that whenever we, sisters, when we love in deed and in truth, by that we know that we're of the truth. By that we reassure our hearts before God. But then some look at our brothers and sisters in need and our hearts condemn us in this way. Do I really have to help them? Do I really have to? I mean, come on. This is my stuff. I've worked hard for it. I don't need to give it to anybody. Well, when our hearts condemn us, what he commands of us, what he expects of us is greater than what our hearts are saying. And he knows everything. God knows. We see brothers and sisters in need, and we know we need to love indeed and in truth. But we start to have those doubts. God knows what's going on. God knows what's going on inside of our hearts whenever we don't want to serve, whenever we don't want to help, whenever we are tempted instead of opening up our hearts. But then if our, in 21, if our hearts don't condemn us, I see my brother or sister in need and I want to help them. I'm passionate about serving them. I want to love them like Jesus loved my me. It's then that I'm able with confidence before God and uh, that that confidence is seen in how we pray and that confidence is seen in how we live. So the main point that would be drawn out of that interpretation would be to say how we interact with others and even the kind of that we have towards our brothers and sisters in Christ impacts our relationships with God directly, our, our relationships with one another and sisters impacts our relationship with God that if my heart condemns me God's greater than my heart he knows what's going on and that that God is not going to be pleased with 
But if my heart doesn't condemn me, then I'm able to stand with confidence before him. I'm able to, I'm able to live confidently. So I don't know if that made a whole lot of sense. Uh, Andy, you might want to clear that up just a little bit, Uh, but that's (laughs) just another maybe to maybe put on the table that ties back into uh, 17 and 18 and, and builds on top of that. Yeah, it, it, I think it does make sense. I think it is a legitimate uh, interpretation of the passage that, that can fit with the context. Again, I've always understood it the other way, uh, but I think it's helpful to at least think about this option uh, as well. I think under this interpretation, the main idea is, um, are we going to trust the what our heart, again, our deceitful heart tells us in saying, uh, you shouldn't love, you shouldn't um, take care of your brother, you shouldn't give uh, to your brother. And I think what in that in this understanding of it, John is saying uh, that that is the way of condemnation. That is the way of death. But if we trust God and his way of love and what he says is right, then that leads to confidence and life. And if you don't trust uh, your heart, if your heart does not condemn you in having that hatred in your heart toward your brother, then we can have this confidence before God uh, and ever, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we're doing what God wants us to do from the heart and it's flowing out in our obedience uh, to him. And so uh, I think that's another legitimate way of, of understanding it. Um, like I would just encourage our readers to uh, consider the context and study it yourself and see what, um, you think is the intention of uh, of John, the Apostle John here. That's always what we're trying to do when we're reading the Bible is trying to understand what what's the uh, intention of the writer and um, how do we see God truly uh, from what the, the writer is saying and how I apply that uh, to my life. I think something that we can draw out from either interpretation uh, that is is important here is that we ought to trust God and his way of love rather than uh, what we feel, what we think, um, what is uh, worldly or what is natural to us. There, there's two options there. Either you, you go with what your heart says or with what go, you go with what uh, God says. And God's way of love is the way of confidence and assurance and life. And I think that is drawn out from either interpretation Although the details and the nuances of of the meaning uh, shift a little bit depending on how you understand uh, this this section. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Um, I had uh, somebody ask me a little bit ago uh, a question that uh, people I know have been concerned with, and uh, the the way that this person asked it was, is it normal? I'm going to go to hell whenever I die uh, as a Christian. And uh, maybe there are so many people who feel that way. And uh, maybe that is normal in how you think about your relationship with God. Well, I think this text speaks to that in a, a very practical way. Interpretation we take. Uh, this text tells us that we need to trust in God instead of ourselves. We need to listen to God. Our hearts are sick. The Bible talks about in the book of Jeremiah, there uh, are so many people who give the advice, oh, into your heart, whatever your heart tells you to do, do that. Andy, that's terrible advice. 
we <laughs> we don't need to follow our hearts. We need to follow what is greater than our hearts. Um, so I I think uh, the the point you made about the overall point of this regardless of the particulars is that we trust in God, not ourselves. We listen to God, not our own hearts. We follow him, not what we think is right or what we think to be best. Yeah, following your heart, that's in, uh, one probably the most prevalent lie in our culture. It's an appealing lie. It's, a, it's an attractive one. Uh, but it, it ends in destruction and ends in death because it's not a reliable source of truth. It's not a reliable source of love. How often does my heart tell me not to love the people around me? How often does my heart tell me it's easier to uh, sink back into comfort, to sink back into uh, personal preservation rather than uh, give of myself in generosity and in love and in sacrifice and in Christ honoring um, goodness and kindness toward other people. And so uh, exactly like you said, we have to trust God rather than trust our heart and follow our heart. And and going back to the question that, that someone asked you, I think that's, that's such a, real struggle for so many Christians is wondering, do I have assurance? And sometimes that's, that's due to thinking, have I done enough? Have I uh, worked hard enough? Am I good enough? And I think what, uh, what John's encouraging us to do is don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your heart. Don't trust in your own merit, trust in God's promises and trust in the way of Jesus and follow him, press into his love that he has for us, that he, the grace that he's given us, even though we don't deserve it. And if we abide in his word, we can have total confidence. We shouldn't have to say, I hope I get to heaven when I die. We should say, I have confidence through Jesus that he will bring me safely into eternal life, that he will sanctify me, complete me completely. And he will bring me to the assurance of my hope that I have in Jesus um, because God is indeed greater uh, than our hearts. Yes. A powerful message. Um, so, you know, to walk away from this text, I think John offers just a few more ideas in 23 and, and 24. out the chapter. Uh, the, the way that I've always thought about 23 and 24 is a We've seen these really awesome things about these awesome things about listening to God and trusting in God instead of listening to and trusting in ourselves. So, uh, you know, what does this need to look like practically? What does this need to look like in my daily life? And I think John basically says four things. Number one, trust in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Him. Believe in the name of His Son. Number two, love one another. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. Love one another as uh, just as he has commanded us. Keep his commandments. Do what God has told you to do. And recognize that God is abiding in you through his spirit and you are abiding in God. So four takeaways, I think, from this passage, four practical applications from this passage, whatever you want to call it. Believe in Jesus. 
love one another, keep God's commands, and know that God is abiding in you, home in you through his spirit, and you are making your home in him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, those are great takeaways. I think that can serve as the <laughs> the challenge for us. I mean, it's it's simple enough, but sometimes difficult to live out, but there's there's nothing greater really than those uh, those those uh, four things that you drew out there from 23 and 24. Believe, trust in Jesus, put your faith in him. And that's not only trusting that he will save us, but that, that means trusting in, in him in how he has called us to live life. Uh, and I think that flows out in what you, the second thing you said, love one another just as he has commanded us. If we trust in Jesus as the son of God, as the Messiah, as our savior, then we're going to trust in how he tells us to live life, which is to love one another. And if we, if we do that, we will also commit, we will keep the commandments of God. We will abide in God. We'll trust in him. And then we have this assurance that God is in us. His spirit is at work within us. We're not uh, working purely by our own willpower, by our own strength, but it's God's spirit who is, working in us his the gift of his own presence of his own power working out in our lives and and that's just a a beautiful blessing and also i think a uh, important uh, motivator uh, for further obedience and surrender to to what god has for us maybe when it comes to the challenge we could ask it in the form of of questions so maybe we could just take a second to all reflect on this together in our own personal lives, how we're choosing to live in Christian community. Do you really trust in Jesus? Do you really trust in Jesus's say Jesus is going to walk with us, how Jesus is going to be with us, to trust in his name, the name that's above all names, the name of Jesus. Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have those who you go to church with and you interact with on a daily basis that you just can't get along with? Uh, what do you need to do to overcome that? Do you need to spend time in prayer for those people? Uh, do you need to reach out to those people? Yep. To go to lunch with that person or um, maybe uh, invite them over to the house and, and just spend some time with them? In God's commands, are, are there some commands that God has given that you're overlooking? Are there some blind spots that you have? Come to see those blind spots. And then do you trust that God is in you? This goes back to security. This goes back to assurance. Do you have that assurance in your salvation? Do you have that assurance in the fact that God is in you and you are in him? Not that you just have one or God has one foot in you, but that God abides in you and that you are abiding in God. Do you trust Jesus? Others, are you keeping his commands? And are you trusting in God's abiding presence that he gives to in Max 5.32 through his Holy Spirit? Andy, anything to, to, to add to those thoughts or to this passage before we close it out? I don't really have uh, much more to add um, other than uh, the, the simple... Uh, final summary statement, I think we should all take away, uh, trust in Jesus, uh, love each other, uh, be thankful for his spirit. I think um, if we, we 
internalize that and, and live that out, I think we'll be uh, we'll be very blessed. I believe so too. I appreciate you, Andy. Appreciate your thoughts in this passage and provide what John says here. And appreciate our listeners for uh, being with us and uh, continuing to study along with us. We're prayerful for you and um, uh, just thankful to be able to do this together. Looking forward to jumping into chapter four time and talking about some um, some how to deal with false prophets. That'll be a fun conversation. Yeah, that'll be a little bit uh, a little bit different, but it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Always enjoy talking about uh, God's word and especially have benefited from uh, thinking about first John. So we'll. We'll get to chapter four next time, Lord willing. Absolutely. Well, Andy, hope you have a a good weekend. We're recording this on a Friday. I think it's going to release on Monday. Uh, But hope that you have a good weekend. Hope that you have a good Lord's Day. And talking to you soon. Same to you. Thank you for listening to the Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future episode, connect with us on our private Facebook group called Streams of Water Bible Study Podcast, or send us an email at streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. That's streamsofwater13 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.